And one of the things I'm really proud of is that Canadians, by and large, in a vast majority, really believe in our universal healthcare system. They believe that this is something of pride. It's a mark of pride that Canadians have that we've got a system that doesn't discriminate someone based on how much money they have in their bank account or how much they earn. And that's the way things should be. And that's encouraging because that's what we believe. We are the party of healthcare. Tommy Douglas and his vision was to bring healthcare universal across the country. And we want to defend that. And he always said that there would be threats of those who want to make money off the system, who want to profit off the system, trying to encroach on it, trying to come back in. And we have to remain vigilant. And that's what we're seeing now. It's a very important time for us to double down on saying, the solution to a healthcare system that's not working isn't to make it two-tier, isn't to introduce more for-profit options. It is to strengthen what we have and improve what we have and expand on what we have so that it's there for people. I'm Peter McCulley. The leader of the New Democratic Party of Canada is a lawyer by trade and the member of Parliament for Burnaby South. We caught up with him recently as he held roundtable discussions on Vancouver Island. Jugmeet Singh, when Today in BC continues. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. Jugmeet, thanks for squeezing us into your busy schedule. Thank you so much. Honored to be here. You've just held a roundtable meeting here with some residents on Vancouver Island, and we're in a community hall. I was setting up my recording gear. Usually I'm in a very nice, comfy studio with a lazy boy chair and a monitor and all of that. (laughs) I noticed while you were waiting for our session, you were tinkering with the piano over in the corner. Is that your instrument of choice? That's really funny. I didn't notice that you'd noticed that. I am not actually a piano player. But I did learn how to play something called a harmonium. It's often used in sick traditional music. So I can play that a little bit. And so I try to dabble. Anytime I see a keyboard, I get a little excited and I want to just try it out. Let's start at the beginning. You were born in Ontario, moved to India, moved back to Canada, and found yourself for the first formative years in St. John's, Newfoundland, probably the friendliest city in Canada. Yes, that's exactly it. My formative years of life were in, in St. John's. I lived right across from a park called Bowering Park. Some people say Boring Park, but it's actually not boring at all. It's quite amazing as a park. A lot of my formative interests, riding a bike, learning how to swim, all happen in the city of St. John's. Newfoundlanders are fantastic people. They are indeed. Have you been back at all? You know what? We went back for our first trip after a number of years, my brother and I. This is years ago. And I think it had been about 30 years since we had been there. And we went together and we retraced some of the places that we lived. My brother was born in St. John's, so it was a very beautiful trip. We went back and found where our old home was. My father was a resident at the hospital, Waterdown Hospital, where he was learning to become a psychiatrist. And so we found some of the old places, our old haunts, and we had an incredible time, met with incredible people. We're catching up to you as you're talking to Vancouver Islanders, British Columbians, Canadians about our healthcare system and in a roundtable fashion, some affordability issues that have really been coming to the forefront the last few years. What kind of questions have you been asking them? Well, we've been focusing on two really major issues with our roundtables. We've been talking a lot about affordability generally and the healthcare system. So what we've heard from people that is that everything's getting more costly. 
uh, cost of groceries, particularly cost of your bills, energy, everything seems to be costing more. But it's really food prices that are really capturing people's attention and frustration. Because when you go into the grocery store, everything you try to buy is just costing more. And week over week, it seems to be going up. So is that the kind of answer you're getting from people that you're talking to? People, when I talk to them, they say that we're just, we're really feeling squeezed. We're doing everything right, working hard, and it seems like I'm affording less and less every week. We tell people that you're not wrong. The cost of food is going up and you are doing everything right. The problem is the federal government is not willing to call out what is the major cause of the cost of living going up, which is corporate greed. The corporate grocery stores are increasing their prices well beyond their increased costs and are making record profits. Their CEOs are getting huge bonuses and that greedflation or corporate greed-driven cost of living going up is something that we're the only party willing to call out and tackle. Pierre Polyev is not willing to call it out, nor is Prime Minister Trudeau. We're saying we've got to do something about it, just like other countries around the world have done, like the United Kingdom, Spain, and Germany. They put in place a tax on their excess profits as a way to disincentivize the gouging or ripping off of Canadians. And how do you classify excess profits? Well, one way to look at it is you look at the profits that a company would normally make and take a period of time. One of the examples we did was look at a five-year period of time with some growth factored in, and then look at that compared to what people are making, what companies are making now, and the amount that's well above the trend of their profit is taxed at a higher rate. And that's one of the proposals. There's other proposals, but that's the one that, that we've seen from Europe. Let's talk about healthcare for a bit. With the premiers asking for a new healthcare funding model, the prime minister has stated he'd like to see some real improvements made to the system overall. Are the people that you're talking to offering feasible grassroots solutions? They're offering incredible solutions. And I really want to lay out the vision of healthcare where we can get the care that you need when you need it, where you can go to a doctor and you've got a family doctor and you can go to an emergency room and it's there and you don't have to wait for hours and hours. The solutions that are being proposed by some of the healthcare workers and residents are very achievable. One of the solutions that we keep on hearing is the idea of a team-based healthcare approach where you go into an office with a nurse, a doctor, a physiotherapist, a dietitian, a social worker to deal with the problems that people face with in a holistic way and dealing with it all together. That's something that we really support. But it starts with having a federal government that's willing to contribute appropriately for health care. And so far, the prime minister is not taking this seriously. And the conservative leader thinks that it's all fine that the healthcare system is eroding because he wants to see more and more private care and for-profit care come in. There's a question. Two-tier health care. So how do people feel about that generally that you have been chatting to? How does your party feel about it? I think it's a great question. One of the things I'm really proud of is that Canadians, by and large, in a vast majority, really believe in our universal healthcare system. They believe that this is something of pride. It's a mark of pride that Canadians have that we've got a system that doesn't discriminate someone based on how much money they have in their bank account or how much they earn. And that's the way things should be. And that's encouraging because that's what we believe. We are the party of healthcare. Tommy Douglas. And his vision was to bring healthcare universal across the country, and we want to defend that. And he always said that there would be threats of those who want to make money off the system, want to profit off the system, trying to encroach on it, trying to come back in, and we have to remain vigilant. And that's what we're seeing now. It's a very important time for us to double down on saying the solution to a healthcare system that's not working isn't to make it two-tier, isn't to introduce more for-profit options, 
It is to strengthen what we have and improve what we have and expand on what we have so that it's there for people. Is the fact that some of the policies are implemented by the federal government and some of the policies implemented by the provincial government causing some of the problems that we're seeing today? We believe that we've got a federal system which requires us to work together with provinces and that often has resulted in some good solutions. Right now, one of our worries is that we've got some conservative premiers that are really eroding or opening the door to serious gaps in our healthcare system. So Daniel Smith has been openly talking about things in Alberta that would just tear apart our universal healthcare system, and that's a problem. We've got Doug Ford in Ontario who just announced a plan to put massive increase in money into the for-profit private care. And that's also a big problem. So those are challenges, but I know there's solutions. With the power that we have at the federal government, we can work together to invest in the public system to strengthen it. And so I'm confident we can come up with good solutions. And that should not be a barrier just because we have to work the provinces should not be used as an excuse for inaction. It does take more work. It is a system that can work if we make it a priority. And New Democrats believe that it can be done and we want to make it a priority. It would seem to me that getting more qualified health professionals into the system faster would go a long way to solving some of our problems. Absolutely. One of the major immediate crises that we're up against is a shortage of healthcare workers. And so the mantra has been recruit, retain, and train. That is really what we need to do right now. Find ways to recruit more healthcare workers. We need to train more healthcare workers and we need to retain the ones we have. To do that, we need to provide them with adequate work conditions, good pay, and really fulfill a lot of the promises that the Prime Minister made not too long ago. He promised increasing wages for the personal support workers, the healthcare support workers. He promised to hire more nurses and doctors. And we're saying, let's do that. Let's actually make that happen because that will really alleviate a lot of the pressures on our healthcare system. When people on Vancouver Island can't find a healthcare worker or can't find a nurse or a doctor to see them, that means we need to make sure we hire more, retain more, recruit more nurses and doctors. This past year, the Union of British Columbia Municipalities held a session about reimagining the province's healthcare system at their UBCM annual general meeting. One of the speakers talked about short-term versus long-term solutions in British Columbia and the need for both. There are some immediate things we need to do, and there's some long-term things we need to do. The immediate relief that is needed, really, we can't emphasize this enough, is more healthcare workers. And that means more nurses, more doctors, and more frontline workers. So that's the immediate relief. And then long-term, we have to look at better ways of delivering healthcare. Some of the models of healthcare in the past that we use don't seem to work anymore. One of the things that came up in the roundtable is that for family doctors to be this a private business and set up in a way where they've got to run a business as well as see patients, for a lot of new graduates, they don't want to do that. They want to be able to go into communities and provide care and not have to worry about the business side of how to run a practice. And that's fair. So we need to find ways, creative models that put healthcare workers into a winning solution, a winning condition that they're not going into a system that they don't want to do. And frankly, many young graduates don't want to set up a practice like that. So we're not going to get them into the field unless we come up with a better way to incentivize and encourage them to enter into family medicine. Is it fair to ask the municipalities to become involved in putting up, for instance, healthcare medical offices for doctors? There really isn't the structure in place at this point, but a lot of municipalities are talking about how they can become involved and help. Ideally, when we're faced with any problem, the more we can get all three levels of government working together, 
we will be able to solve the problems better. So working together with the province, the federal government and municipalities, that is a winning condition. If we can get everyone together on the same page, we can deliver good results. It's something that in general, I think we need to do more often. Since the beginning of the pandemic, mental health issues have moved into the spotlight right across the country. What steps would the NDP take to improve mental health services in BC and across the country? We would treat mental health services as fundamental elements of our healthcare system. Right now, it's seen as a side priority, not something central. The reality is people are not getting the mental health services and care that they need. That has to change. So we would treat it as a part of our healthcare system, make sure people are able to access mental health services, fund it appropriately, and roll it into a universal healthcare system. In 2022, the NDP agreed to vote with the Liberals on confidence matters in the House of Commons in exchange for the government moving on some of your priorities for your party. And you've said that universal pharmacare program in 2023 is a deal breaker for the NDP. It's included in the document that we forced the government to enter into. In it, we laid out a number of things that have to happen. For the first year, we achieved what we wanted in terms of dental care for children under 12, uh, rental benefits, and an additional support that was not in the agreement that we fought for, which is a GST rebate that went out to about 10 million Canadians of up to $467. We knew that people needed a little extra help given the cost of living going up. So we achieved that in the first year. In the second year, one of the things that has to happen is tabling and passing the legislative framework for universal pharmacare, and that's a Canada Pharmacare Act. So that's something the Liberals had fought against. They voted against in the past, and that has to be passed by the end of this year. We absolutely believe that the government should follow through on the commitments they made to us. If not, there'll be repercussions. When Today in BC continues, Jagmeet Singh talks about the Canadian dental benefit and affordable housing. Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Increasingly, the healthcare system in Canada has been under tremendous pressures given the stress from the pandemic and RSV, now the flu. What are your thoughts on addressing the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and its economic impacts? The impacts are still being felt. In fact, a part of the reason that we're going through this inflation, the experts are saying there's a war in Ukraine and the supply chain issues continue to lag because of COVID. So we're still feeling the impacts of COVID. It's impacting us, and, and that's something that we need to consider. You mentioned the Canadian dental benefit. In December of 2022, Canadians who do not currently have dental coverage can now qualify for the Canadian dental benefit. How does the plan work, and who qualifies? Certainly. So the plan is for anyone earning less than $70,000, they will receive $1,300 per child, to get dental care needs met. It's a plan that requires families to apply for it. So I encourage everyone who qualifies, reach out to your local member of parliament if you got any questions. There's a website set up, check it out and apply to get that care. You would find out how much you need for a doctor's visit or for a dentist's visit and then submit that 
along with your application that this is the care that you need, then you could receive up to the $1,300. That's for this year. And for next year, the program will be a national dental care program. It'll be expanded to include seniors, teenagers, and people living with disabilities. That program will be one where you go into a dentist or a hygienist office and your bill will be covered by the federal government. It will be a national program. It's, as you mentioned, it's a pretty crazy world out there right now with costs spiraling on just about everything. More and more Canadians are turning to food banks. The rents are soaring. Do you have a plan to address the issue of affordable housing in Canada? We noticed that one of the biggest pressures on affordability is housing. The cost of renting, the cost of owning are out of reach for so many Canadians. And it shouldn't be that way. And we can fix it. It's not an easy fix. It's going to take a lot of different steps. So I want to also acknowledge that it is complex, but it hasn't been a priority for the federal government for decades. Hasn't been since the 90s that the federal government has really played any meaningful role in building affordable housing. If you look at the chart of when housing became more and more unaffordable, it really started to veer off after the 90s when the federal government stopped playing their role. We look at it in two ways. We need to build more homes that are affordable, and the federal government needs to really invest massively in building those homes. Those homes have to be a mix of not-for-profit, cooperative housing, as well as real incentives for private developers. And then on the second side, we have to look at some of the rules and laws that have encouraged the financialization of housing, that have really made housing a stock market for investors where you could drop your money in the Canadian housing market and make a lot of money. We need to find ways to disincentivize that and really make housing about finding a home. There's ways that we can change uh, different laws around capital gains for investors. We can disincentivize corporations that want to scoop up homes and buy more property and find ways to really keep housing as a place for Canadians to find a home. When we look at the developers, we've actually made a big change in the criteria for developers to receive public funding or federal dollars in building a project. Before the definition was they would only need to have 20% of the project as affordable. And under the definition, in a city like Comox, for example, though a one-bedroom apartment of $2,200 a month was considered affordable, which is absolutely not affordable. Under our new definition, which we've actually forced the government to adopt, and it will be implemented this year, that new definition would be that 40% of the project has to be affordable, and for a one-bedroom apartment, $1,000 rent, which is a significant improvement. Of course, we need to do a lot better, but that is moving us in a much better direction than we were before. 2023 is expected to be a busy year for people moving to Canada because of the pandemic that hadn't happened the last few years, of course. And the healthcare system that we've just talked about and the housing markets we've just talked about are not only going to be adjusted for those that are here now, but for those that are on the way. We need to make sure that we've got the right infrastructure in place. We know we need immigration. It is fundamental for our economy. We need more workers. There's lots of issues when it comes to different businesses telling us that they need more workers in those fields. So we need immigration, we need new Canadians, but we need to also make sure that we've got the resources in place. So the appropriate housing, healthcare resources, the infrastructure has to be in place so that people can come to Canada and thrive. That is something that we're very keenly aware of. How do you plan to support and grow small business in Canada? It's just been a really tough three years and it doesn't look like it's going to be easy anytime soon. 
We take a very different approach. We want to identify the different needs of small and medium-sized businesses as compared to large corporations. And we talk about the largest corporations and their CEOs not paying what they owe. We really focus on those really huge multi-billion international CEOs and corporations. But we want to instead focus on making them pay their fair share, but then supporting small and medium-sized businesses. And a part of what I've heard from business owners is that acknowledgement that a small business is in a very different position. They have a different capacity to fill out complex forms and to apply for complex grants. So we want to make sure that we're creating an approach that is simplified, streamlined, and is different for small and medium businesses as opposed to the large corporations, which are often not paying what they owe. Jagmeet, what is your position on the ongoing issues of Indigenous rights and reconciliation in Canada? It's a major challenge in that for so long, Indigenous communities have been mistreated, have faced injustice, continue to face injustice, and it is an ongoing example of a major failure that we have not really addressed these problems. So we're continuing to raise concerns around the treatment of Indigenous children, making sure that clean drinking water is available across the country for any Indigenous community. We want to make sure that Indigenous people are able to live with dignity and respect, and that means implementing the guidelines laid out by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, as well as the strong recommendations of the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls Commission, which lays out a real path to protecting and ending violence against Indigenous women and girls. A couple of federal elections ago, I stumbled across Jagmeet Singh on TikTok, and, and you were really rocking it. Yes. And you're having fun with it still? Yeah, for sure. We're still on there pretty regular. It's something that I think I started off with a little bit more focus on it. And now I've laid off a little bit, but I'm still pretty active on TikTok. What will we find as one of your latest posts if we went to visit you? One of the latest posts is a cute one. I've been doing more and more posts with my daughter. And this one is a celebration of New Year's Day my birthday and her birthday all falling consecutively. So New Year's on the first, my birthday's on the second, her birthday's on the third. So we did a cute little dance together celebrating the fun that we were having over those past three days. I'd like to thank Jagmeet Singh, leader of the New Democratic Party of Canada, for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts.